Hello everybody, my name is Fatima Jaffer and welcome to the second episode of Sunday Stories at 6. We have a lot of things to cover today, so thank you so much for tuning in. Um, last week's episode was the very first episode, so I have taken the feedback that you all have given me and I have definitely implemented it in this week's episode. I'm so excited to get started. Alright, so this week has been pretty crazy in terms of immigration. Um, This past week, I had the opportunity to attend a workshop with FCNL. So for those of you that don't know much about FCNL, FCNL is an organization um, which is Quaker and faith-based. So it stands for Friends Committee on National Legislation. I'm going to have a little bit more information on that with a guest that will be coming up soon to talk more about her experience with FCNL. But for today, I want to go into the opportunities that I have been given and offer those opportunities to you all. So this past week, FCNL hosted a writing workshop. And what this workshop did is we basically all gathered together virtually, of course, and we wrote letters to our senators. And this letter basically was very um, personalized. It's not like we took letters that were very generic and we all just sent them to our senator. We came together, we wrote personalized letters on the Dream and Promise Act, and we customized it according to what our story was. And so I really want to emphasize the importance of a story. When we were at these, when I was at this workshop, there was a lack of knowing what to say. So a lot of people who were at this workshop, they would tell their stories, but then they wouldn't know what to say about the constituents of their hometown. So for example, there was a constituent of or um, Oregon, and he had no idea what the other stories of the people around him were. So he knew that there were a lot of immigrants, but he didn't know exactly what their stories were, and he had a very hard time writing his letter to his senator because he didn't know what story to include. And so I want to emphasize the importance of sharing your story as an immigrant. This this issue of hiding your story has been very, very, very prevalent amongst immigrants throughout the history of this country. Ever since immigrants came to the United States, it's as if immigrants were told to just not even tell their story, just hush-hush on their hardships, just forget as if everything that they were going through, um, forget as if that even happened. And so the importance of telling these stories is so that people become more aware of what is actually going on. It's more about transparency and it's more about authenticity than it is about covering up your flaws of this nation. In order to make this country better, in order to improve, in order to be the best country that we can possibly be, we have to acknowledge all of our flaws. We have to acknowledge all of all of the bad and all of the good. You know, it's as if you were reflecting on yourself and it's as if you were thinking, all right, how can I improve every single day? You definitely can't improve by just thinking of what you're doing correctly because then how are you ever going to work on what's bad about you? Everyone has something that's bad about them. It's not like everyone's perfect. 
we can only improve if we consider the good and the bad. If we say, all right, what can I do to be better? How can I look at my mistakes? How can I look at the things that aren't so good about me so that I can improve them to become a better person? And that is exactly what we have to do as a nation. And so I want to emphasize that in talking on these podcasts, they it's only the first step. There is more that we must do in order to implement change. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to work with a colleague of mine at FCNL in order to draft an email so that our senators can hear these stories, so that these stories aren't just being put out out into the open, so that our senators know what is actually going on in Florida, in other states, um, from whoever speaks in this podcast. They are aware of their constituents. They are aware of their neighbors, their colleagues, their students. They're aware of their stories and they're aware of what exactly is going on. Because the truth is, is that a lot of senators, they want to know. It's not like they don't want to know. They definitely want to know. But the problem is, is that they don't have the opportunity to know they don't have the opportunity to understand and sit down and talk with all of their constituents and so it's hard for them to implement something when the rest of their party is against it because they don't know what is actually going on in the lives of their constituents because the truth is is that a lot of them just don't have time a lot of them don't have time to just sit down with you and i and actually discuss what is going on and what needs to be implemented and so in order for them to know in order for us to express our urgency it all starts with sharing our stories and sharing why immigration reform is important to us and i'm going to discuss a little bit more on how we can get more involved and what action steps that we need to take but of course the first thing we must do is use our voice using your voice is the first step but it is not the only step all right so I know that was a lot, but we are going to get started on today's episode with our immigration reform updates. And so we have a lot of updates for you today, and I'm very excited. And so here we are. We're going to start with Gabby and her updates. So here we go. Hi, Fatima. Hey, Gabby. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, wow, what a week it has been this week on immigration. Yes, it definitely has been a wild week, um, similarly to has, how it's been like a wild year. <laughs> right, exactly. It has been quite a year, right? 2020 has been quite the year. Oh, gosh. And speaking of which, another um, unfortunate thing happened just recently in 2020, the death of the notorious RBG, Ruth Badger Ginsburg. Right. Um, she was one of our main um, Justin's uh, Supreme. Uh, I can't speak. I'm so sorry. I'm so emotional about this. No, no. But no. Okay. She, yeah, no, this is this is very hard. She was the face of adversity. She was appointed by the Supreme Court. Um, I believe it was President Bill Clinton at the time. 
And she was there. She was standing for immigration issues, women's rights issues. Like when it came to the most progressive arguments and making changes for human rights, she was there for us. Oh and, and to hear that, um, I, I recently, like, uh, I read that her last wish was that um, when she passes away, like, the last thing that she was thinking in her mind was, I just don't want to be, like, replaced before the U.S. elections. And, like, think about it. Like, the fact that she left worrying about us and what could happen to our justice system. Right. Not even just immigration, civil rights, like, education, all of these different fields that are so impacted by her and her responsibility oh my gosh I can't even oh, it is so hard to even think about what is going to happen next right like who right. is going to be next and who is going to make these decisions and essentially it's all in their hands right all these right. all these immigration reform like everything so, everything everything is in their hands they're the highest court in the United States so even if the um, hypothetically the president of the United States, they do something and it's like they can consider saying, no, you can't do this. Like this is unconstitutional. This is not right. And, you know, they're the ones that made the decision for DACA to remain a program. Right. So to think about it, the person who fills her spot, if they don't have the similar views as her and they uh, have different views on what's considered uh, important for hum- as a human right issue, um, it can really affect us. It, mm-hmm. it, it's a matter of even like uh, whether you're going to have health care, whether you're going to have rights in your job, like, this does not only apply to immigration issues. This is... Everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. All yep. everything. So, um... It's, yeah. it's kind of scary. It's actually very scary. Um, the fate of this. Like, I remember... Um, I remember, you know, in our last election in 2016, how scared so many people were um, about the outcome. Because, you know, that essentially determine whether what was going to happen and what was going to happen with their lives and their rights and everything but Mm -hmm. supreme court justice that's like like you were saying that that is essentially more powerful than the united states president that has the highest authority whatever the president says it can always be blocked by supreme court justice and if you know like you were saying if essentially the supreme court justice doesn't have views on like progressive views on civil rights or on immigration, then essentially whatever our current administration desires is exactly what's going to Exactly. So I've been seeing that right now, uh, Mitch McConnell has been talking about like the possibility of him filling her role. And, you know, um, as we know, he has very clear views of being, um, anti-immigration, anti-gay rights, and it's just if someone is going to replace her, and 
they're gonna have a very polarized view because it will mean it will also mean that the majority of the people in the Supreme Court will be conservative. The majority right. are conservative and they have not only like being conservative, but if they have these certain political views, how are we gonna have a fair justice system that's more diverse and they can bring different perspectives? Exactly. And how is that going to represent every single citizen in the United States? That just represents, you know, a select few. But how are we going to represent everybody in the United States in the first place? Right. So it's a big issue. And I think everyone should care about this and should keep updated of what's going to happen with the Supreme Court and who's going to fill her role. Um, Because it's it's if it can go either way it can either be replaced by someone who has similar values as her or it can be replaced it can be replaced by someone who literally does not care <laughs> it's right. not that they don't care it's like literally they don't value the same values that she did Right, they don't have the same values and they don't, like, care necessarily about gay rights. They don't care about, you know, yeah. immigration. They don't care about all of these other issues that are affecting millions of citizens in the United States. Yep. And not even just citizens, also residents in the United States. Right. Right. Uh, so, what was that, Gabby? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you, Um, I know a lot of people who might be listening might not know the difference between a resident and a citizen, right? So a lot right. of people tend to, you know, mistake the two. And a lot of people think that if you're a citizen, then you're a resident. And if you're a resident, you're automatically a citizen. So a lot of people think that those two are synonyms and they think that they are the same term. But would right. you like to explain on how that's not the same thing? Yeah, um, I believe partially the reason why they have this misconception is because um, a lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a U.S. citizen, but I'm also a resident in Florida. And so like a lot of uh, a lot of the residency things that you can see you can have as someone living in Florida, the word itself can be conflicted when you talk about gaining uh, permanent residency status. So what I mean by this is basically um hypothetically like me okay Mm -hmm. i'm a u.s citizen and i'm also a resident in florida so i get a lot of benefits and and i can apply for many things because of my status Mm -hmm. now when you tell a floridian yeah i'm a u.s uh resident they might think oh maybe it's similar to like being a florida resident but it's not it's it's completely different immigration status. What mm-hmm. it actually means is you can live in the United States. That's the main idea. You're not going to be uh, deported and you have the right to live in the United States. But when it comes to like public benefit programs, that's a little more tricky. tricky. Mm-hmm. So when you are a U.S. citizen, you have access to basically you're eligible to federal programs that are available to the pro- um, public, such as health insurance, um, 
Medicaid, food stamps, and even um, grants for when you go to college. Like these are all uh, federal funded. And, right. And a lot of misconception is like, oh, immigrants are going to take our um, our benefits and that's going to be a burden for our budget. And mm. so what they often don't know is that oftentimes becoming a permanent resident doesn't mean that you're going to 100% get these public programs. At times, most of the time, actually, um, depending on how they got the residency status, they have to wait at least five years to be a legal, uh, legal, sorry, I was thinking in Spanish, legal, <laughs> a legal resident. <laughs> I was going to say legal. <laughs> legal resident to um, um, a legal resident for five years to be eligible for some benefits. And oftentimes they're not even allowed to get some of it just because they're not a U.S. citizen. Yeah, wow. And I uh, know, continue, or what else were you going to say? I have so many thoughts on this. Uh, in addition to that, one big factor that you know that you're a permanent resident and not U.S. citizen is your um, the fact that you're going to be able to vote for U.S. elections. You cannot mm. vote. You do mm-hmm. not have any rights to influence the U.S. government whatsoever. You don't have any say. The most you can do is post about your opinion on social media. <laughs> but when it comes to te- taking action and being very politically involved, there's a big limit. Um, so those are one of the key highlights of main difference between being a permanent resident and a U.S. citizen. There's, of course, more, but these are the top highlights. <laughs> Right. And you know what I think is crazy is that a lot of these um, residents, a lot of these immigrants are working and they're paying taxes when Mm. they work. And so they're contributing to these benefits that they're essentially never going to get. Right. Um, And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that because they literally uh, both documented... um, Um, residents and undocumented immigrants, they both pay for public benefit programs via taxes and they don't get those benefits back. They fund more and they put more money into these public benefit programs than they take out. Right. That's that's just insane. That that blows my mind, especially how so many people are so against, you know, like you were saying, immigrants are going to take our benefits, immigrants are going to do this, going to do this, going to do this. But essentially, they're not even getting anything that they deserve. Any Everything that we get because we work, everything that we get because we have status as a citizen, they are always deprived of. And that just blows my mind. Right. So it's like a common misconception when in reality, that's not how it works. Another thing to mention is like, um, basically, according to the Institute of on Taxation and Economic Policy, undocumented immigrants contribute about $11.74 billion to state and local economies. Ooh, say, that, say that again. Say that again. <laughs> that real quick. It's an <laughs> estimate. I don't know how much they contributed this year, but it's an <laughs> estimate 
of 11.74 billion 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 to state and local (laughs) economies this year so think about it if you get rid of this uh contributions um we are losing billions of dollars of benefit programs so they are helping you, U.S. citizens. They yes. are helping you get those benefits that you U.S. citizens get. and U.S. senators. <laughs> I am going to be sending this podcast to our senators this week. So the senators that are listening to this podcast, for sure, they definitely contribute much more than you think that they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, um. <laughs> yes, but I'm sorry. I'm so caught up in this in this fact and so caught up in everything that we were talking about and everything that you were saying. And so I want to get into also besides all of this, you know, information, what has been going on this week in the world of immigration reform? It has been quite a week. So what all has been going on? Whew. Okay, so this one is heavy one. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a whistleblower. She's a nurse, and she worked at a detention center, um, an ICE detention center in Georgia, and she filed a complaint about lack of medical care and stay and unsafe work practices. Um, that's actually helping the spread of COVID-19. This was kind of, a we were aware of this, but one thing that a lot of people are kind of raising an eyebrow and really shocked about is how she mentioned that a lot of immigrant women in that detention center are receiving hysterectomies. And what is a hysterectomy for those of you know, for everyone that's listening that might not know what that is? It's a sterilization process. It means that um, basically women, they get, um, they basically take out a part or all of their uterus. And what that means is that if your uterus gets, um, if they partially take a part of it or if they remove it as a whole, it means that you cannot, Um, have children you cannot have any babies and you're sterilized Mm -hmm. Uh, it's similarly to basically uh, a cat getting spayed (laughs) right exactly and the fact that you even have to compare it to a cat is just very dehumanizing and very um like the process of it and just the whole explanation of it is just so uh, these are humans, you know? It's so hard to uh, put so, into perspective yeah. that these are not just, you know, cats and dogs walking in the street. These are humans, and these are the lives of humans. And the fact that this is not even a partisan issue. This is a whole human rights issue. There's a name for that, um, Fatima, and it's called eugenics. It's okay. basically the practice of depriving um, certain people and controlling their population to ensure that they're not, um, it's, it's difficult. It's basically 
hurting a certain population of people to ensure that they're not populating. Mm, so, yeah, no, this is this is a very, 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 very um, huge thing. It's not like something that you can just ignore. This is something that is being done on purpose in order to prevent them from repopulating. And it's so interesting because I was just, I keep, it's been quite a few years that I've been reading these reports about like how by certain years around like uh, maybe 2030, 2040, how diverse the United States is going to be and how like we're going to be more mixed than ever and how um, um, basically you're going to see more mixed people than um, Caucasians. And it's Mm. just, it's just, it's just, it's crazy to see this because over time and over time in history, you can see how uh, minority populations, women who are minorities, are often sterilized. Um, it has happened with Black women. It has happened with Puerto Rican women. And now it's happening 2020 with immigrant women. And oftentimes, this is a method that's used to keep a certain human race. Um, and it's just frightening to even see it. Like, um, although they're not using the word eugenics, it's like you see the practice. You see how they're sterilizing women. You see how they're depriving their rights. And it's just, it's making me shake. Like, I can't believe it's still happening. And it's 2020 and we're having these kinds of human rights issues. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of the things that happen in this world, they're not talked about in the history books. But what is talked about in the history book, the history books is, sorry, I a little stumbled over there. But what is happening in these history books is the Holocaust, right? And so we all learn about the Holocaust in the United States education system. And this is exactly what also happened in the Holocaust, right? And so we always get a lot of people reacting as if, how could Hitler ever come into power? How could all of these things ever come into power? And these are the steps. This is exactly how. This goes under the table. This goes neglected. And then, you know, a lot of people don't talk about these things that are happening. A lot of people don't bring voice and take action into what is actually going on. And then what happens? These things flourish. These things definitely spread and that is exactly how we get essentially a genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, Karma, do you see recently what has happened? The recent reports about a study that um, basically found shocking results saying that there's a lack of knowledge of the Holocaust between our generation and millennials. Yes, and I find that insane because I remember, you know, the only... Um, mass genocide that we would ever go in depth in is the holocaust right right so if you think about it um we're already starting to see how certain historic events that you believe that we're intensely revisiting and looking into they're just being erased like nothing happened and let's see And it makes me question, like, how much do we not know even with the um, slavery 
Oh, there's so many things that have been wiped under the table. Gosh, like the Tulsa massacre. Massacre. I had yeah. no idea about the Tulsa massacre until a couple of months ago when I saw it on an Instagram post. Mind you, I didn't learn it in my history class ever. I saw it on an Instagram post, and then I started researching about it, and I was just so appalled by it. I just, gosh, I could not believe that things like these. I mean, I essentially can because I know who writes these textbooks, right? So I essentially right. understand why this has been wiped under the table. But things like that, right? It's just, mm -hmm. it's so, gosh, it just really blows my mind how this is happening. And you know what? But that, I want to mention that that just tells us how important it is for minorities to be at that table, to be at that table um, of people who are writing these history books because history is so 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 important and it's so important that we have a voice and we are at those tables that are taking place or that we even create our own tables and even you know essentially create a new history book that actually explains what happened in the United States and in other countries um, around us and oh gosh it just makes me really angry and really, 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 um, I'm just so passionate about this subject. Um, yes, um, Fatima, as an educator, um, do you, have you been aware of the New York Times, the 1619 project? The 1619, elaborate on that, Gabby. Um, it's basically a project by the New York Times magazine, basically reframing our country's history and basically understanding the consequences of slavery and how it has impacted um, um, Black Americans. No, I have, I have not heard about that, but that makes um, me very happy to hear that an initiative is going on that is going to address all of these issues. Okay, um, the reason why I mentioned this um, 1619 project by the New York Times is because I believe that there is, I'm not very well known about it, but there is some argument going on in um, with the Trump administration talking about how we're going to shape Black history curriculums. Mm -hmm. And I think it's... Uh, uh, let me check. It's seven. I I believe it's like uh, associated with 1776. The 1776 project. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, it's basically trying to take control of Black history as a curriculum, and it's dismissing all of the. Um, work that the New York Times has input with the 1619 project, basically recognizing that um, it's important to recognize Black lives as a foundation of the United States. So, wait, you're, so you're saying that this 1776 project is essentially a counter um, argument, yes. basically, to yes. the, it's a the project that you were telling me? Yes, it's a patriotic education project. It's the counter argument, um, basically, the another kind of curriculum that they're arguing that they should be teaching at schools, just promoting patriotism in education instead of learning more about our uh, the Black history in this country and 
black ancestors. And you know what? I think that is very, and that is exactly what they do too with immigrants, right? That is exactly what they do. They wipe out the history of what actually happened in the United States. They wipe out the history of, you know, black people in the United States. And they essentially say, yeah, but you know, we need to forget about this if we want to be patriotic. But in my opinion, I think that in order to actually be patriotic, in order to actually have pride in this country, we need to address the things that have happened in this country that were not okay so that we can do better. We cannot, I don't, in my opinion, we cannot just ignore the things that this country has had as its history and pretend like nothing has happened in order to just say, oh, America is the best country in the world. We're great. We're great. And, you know, nothing bad has ever happened. Um, For you to have a better idea, um, basically, President Trump claims that he believes that 1619 Project, which is the one by the New York Times, it's actually distorting American history. And he's blaming the Democratic um, Party for it, saying that they're all deceptions and falsehoods and lies. When in reality, all they're doing is teaching children the true American history from the very beginning and the roots going back to all the pain and suffering that our black community has gone through which is so needed because so many people are so unaware of what actually happened so to think of to think into perspective what we're doing is a big deal like the podcast that we're doing it's an open conversation about immigration and all these issues because although we're talking about education. If we don't educate people and people are not aware of certain differences that are even the slightest, small, like the smallest little thing, it, it, it makes a big difference. It can create a lot of um, deceptions and falsehoods and they can basically shape their views with something that's not even true at all and I've been seeing this a lot and I've been um, shocked how like over the years I've just been seeing misinformation about different topics highly including immigration through social media right gosh it's it honestly just, uh, it really makes me angry to think about how how much our education system really lacks, right? And so as an educator, this is a topic that I definitely take, definitely take to heart because we are educating our children that slavery was okay. We are educating our children that all these things in America's history never happened and that they should just be neglected and that we should just move on with our lives and everything is fine. And that is not true at all. That is exactly why we have um, riots right now. That is exactly why people are protesting. That is exactly why people are angry. You know, people, this is, this affects the lives of, Every single person in the United States, whether you are a citizen, whether you are a resident, this affects the lives of every single person. And it is time, in my opinion, it is time that we do something about it. And it is time that we educate our children about it, our students about it. It is time that we talk about these issues that have been so, so silenced for so long in our history. 
Yeah, I believe we have the right to know whether it's good, whether it's bad. We have the right to know what happened in our past to really understand where we are now in the future and how we can progress together as a society. Whether um, whether some politicians like it or not, United States is becoming diverse, and they're not going. There's no way to prevent that from happening, whether they like it or not. And right. If you, if, and they have two options, either they can unite us together and have a common ground between different values and opinions, or there's gonna be something ugly happening because we're just gonna be very polarized and shift to two political parties. Exactly. And just think about the foundation of the this country itself. This country was founded on immigrants, right? And so right. essentially, this country is always going to be a, mount, a melting pot no matter what. And it's just going to keep getting more diverse and more diverse, just like you were saying. And it's time to unite this country instead of dividing it. And instead of saying that my group is better than your group and your group is better than my group. Right. It's like... <sighs> I, I, I know that a lot of Americans value nationality, but if you truly love America, you have to love all of it. You cannot love one part of it and just say, this is the America I believe in. You have to accept America as a whole and help America become a better country. Um, I'm not saying the whole speech of make America great again. I'm just saying we have oh, to God. face <laughs> all the... <laughs> we have uh, uh like we have to look at the united states as so as a country who has done a lot that has hurt people in a lot of groups and we have to face those things and literally question how can we improve and that's how we will progress I definitely agree. It's just like looking within yourself and just seeing the positive things that will never, never. ever help you progress as a person and help you be better at what you are doing. Mm. You have to have to always give yourself constructive criticism. Always. Just like you have to do for this country. Even if it's painful, even if it hurts, even if it exactly. hurts to see. I was shocked. I was shocked um, by... Uh, how much minorities just keep getting constantly hurt. It's mm -hmm. easy to be in denial. It's easy to say, that's not happening in my country. They're just, you know, they're just, you know, uh, being a little too overdramatic about it. It's easy to look at that way. But if we don't see the stories of minorities and what they go through and face these things, how are we supposed to progress? You know, being in denial is not going to help us move forward. And I'm just very concerned right now that um, we are so tight, like uh, we're just keeping hold into like our own opinions that we're unwilling to listen to each other and we're just purely polarized and it's just if even if it's painful we need to listen 
I definitely agree. Wow. <laughs> well, on that note, Gabby, thank you so much for sharing this week's news. And thank you so much for coming on and researching all of this information. Of course. And um, it's always so good to have a conversation about this with you. It's so healthy. And I think it's always good to talk about it not just us in a podcast but talk about Mm -hmm. it with your friends talk about it with your family members Um, have an open conversation um, because these topics they're a matter of like it affects you whether you think it's just politics and you know it is what it is no in reality it affects how you're gonna get a job how Mm -hmm. you're gonna get health insurance how you're gonna get paid your friends who are immigrants your minority uh, neighbors, um, mm-hmm. even family members. Um, so it's good to always have a conversation about these issues and just open up, talk about it, um, even if it's hard and painful. That's yes. how you heal trauma in the psychology world. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Our psychologist specialist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I definitely, definitely agree. So, uh, so yeah. Um, thank you so much, Fatima. <laughs> thank you so much, Gabby. All right. So, after those updates that Gabby has given us, we are now going to transition into the story part of this segment. And so, Today's story is one that hits a little bit um, home to me. This story is of my close friend, Cheyenne St. Louis, and her story is very, very traumatizing and very triggering. So a warning for all of you listening out there, this story was heavy on me when I heard it, and I just want to warn everyone that before you listen, just make sure that you are okay with listening to a story about deportation. So without further ado, please welcome my close friend, Cheyenne. All right, so today we have Cheyenne St. Louis with us, ready to talk on the podcast. Um, For those of you that don't know, me and Cheyenne went to high school together. So when I was a senior in high school, she was a freshman, and she was like my little baby. Um, In high school, we both did cross-country and track, and Cheyenne has been running her whole entire life. And so it was very cool to have Cheyenne with me um, running also there, and she is definitely so much faster than I am in terms of the shortness and stuff, so I was never able to keep up with her with that kind of stuff, but now she is at UNF, and now she is also killing it, um, so yeah, welcome Cheyenne. Hello, Cheyenne. Hi. Um, so, Cheyenne, what brought you to this podcast? Why did you want to be on this podcast today? Um, well, as you know, um, I, my family, my whole family moved to the U.S. in 2012, and unfortunately, they are no longer here, and I'm, me and my brother are here, so, um, you know, I've kind of, it's been eight years now, I've kind of, like, dealt with all of, like, you know, the struggles and just the injustice in the immigration system, so, you know, there is a lot like this podcast highlights that is just brushed under the cover and you know I would like to use my story to kind of just raise awareness to the things that people just don't realize that's going on 
Yeah, I absolutely love that. So Cheyenne, where, I mean, I know where your parents are from, but mm-hmm. tell the audience where your parents are from. Okay, so I actually have kind of like a unique background where my mom is from Ireland and my dad is from Trinidad, but they both went to um, university in England. So me and um, my three siblings were all bo- born in England. Um, so that's where I grew up. And then in 2012, we moved to Orlando. Right. So um, basically, Cheyenne, um, like you were saying, like, you know, you grew up in Orlando. Orlando um, was home for you. So kind of describe your journey through the immigration system and what what happened? Do your parents still live with you and all that stuff as well? Yeah. So um, uh, every other year we came on a business visa. It's called the E2 visa. And With that visa, every other year, you have to go out of the country and go to an embassy in a different country. And then you have like a little interview and they basically say yes or no, like to renew your visa. Um, So we did that every other year. We go to different countries because you just have to be outside of the country so that if they say no, you can't come back in. So um, two years ago, we went we had been in the U.S. for six years at that point. Um, and we went to do our interview we, um, in Ireland, which is where my mom's family's from. So we, we have been following all the rules, doing everything that we're supposed to do. So we never really thought there was a reason for us to get denied. So we packed our bags for 10 days. Like we left our car here, like in the airport parking and our dog was here, you know, like we didn't really expect not to come back um but yeah we went to our interview and they said no there wasn't really a solid reason um they just basically told us we could run our business from ireland but that wasn't really possible so we um ended up having to close both of our businesses we had um two weight loss centers here and um it was very tough time for me because i what, this was the summer before I was supposed to start college at UNF. So I was kind of just like torn on what I should do. Um, and my parents applied for a temporary visa for three months, I believe, just to pack up the house and to sell our businesses, to pack everything up because it was impossible to run that from, you know, the other side of the world. So they applied for that, but they were denied because they really just don't want you coming back into the country because they think from there you'll stay illegally. So they're not even allowed in the country as of right now. So um, I'm, I decided to come on a student visa because I did have a lot of scholarship for UNF and I wouldn't really be able to um, start school in Ireland because I haven't had, I've been in the US for my middle school, my high school. So I haven't really had any of the tests required to go to university in Ireland. So um, I stayed here thinking that I had my college paid for because I had called Bright Futures and they had told me that I still had the money allocated for me. But then when I came to UNF, um, my first day of school, they told me that I could not move into my dorm because I didn't have um, my tuition paid for. And, you know, I was confused because I thought my scholarships covered everything. Um, But then they showed me because of my residency change that they said, unfortunately, they're going to have to charge me international rates, which are like three times the amount of, you know, United, like Florida tuition. So 
just like way way more and then they told me that although the bright futures is allocated for me they make the final decision and that decision is based on residency and they didn't believe I qualified for residency even though I went to high school in Florida so they did not give me that so I started school um you know not really knowing how I was going to pay for anything they wouldn't even let me move into my room So yeah, like that year, and then, you know, my sister, she was here at that point, she was trying to like, all by herself, you know, sell the house, sell the stuff in the house, like she had garage sales every weekend. So yeah, it was just tough time. I yeah, you're you're telling me all of this. And it's just bringing me like flashbacks of like when this was all actually happening. Mm -hmm. And Oh my gosh, I'm starting to get really emotional right now because mm-hmm. I just remember the day that you found this out. You're at we are at track practice. Yeah. And <laughs> we're Lake Mary. And we were over there and I just saw you crying like all of a sudden and it was the worst possible thing that I could have ever heard. But um yeah. wow. Whew, this is this is a lot right now. But wow. Okay, so I want you to um, basically, yeah, that's that's insane. First of all, I didn't even know, I didn't even know that um, that they didn't deny you, that they denied you your bright futures. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah, I can't believe that. So w- what happened? So I know, like before this call, um, you were telling me that you had to take six classes in order to, you know, stay and in order to. Um, not pay over the summer right because you're paying all these fees yeah so what happened with that so I just like um my family um you know they made like a lot of huge sacrifices for me my freshman year um to the fact that they you know I wouldn't say homeless but they lived with my grandparents so they for um getting a house so that they could pay for my tuition so I could stay so my freshman year um they helped me out they paid the crazy amounts I had to pay but you know like um as grateful as I am for my for my family doing that for me I never you know I wanted to be able to do that for myself and you know I my family was struggling so much and to think that they you know had to give give up everything their house they you know they didn't even have jobs at this point because they were just unexpectedly put in a new place my dad never lived in Ireland you know like he's somewhere else like my mom had to you know restart like they both had to start from you know square one so we did not have any money so they gave all their money to me so that I could go to school um so after that you know I wanted to you know, repay my family. So I worked extremely hard. Um, I now have five scholarships um, just for... Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I I worked super hard. So like this semester was my first semester where I didn't have to pay anything because it's just so expensive being an international student. And then, yeah, the health insurance is like, it's this year it came to 1300 for just my fall semester. Oh my so, Lord. <laughs> Yeah, it's just an insane amount. Um, and like, I was comparing um, my my costs of tuition with Maggie, um, one of our friends from high school, because she also goes to UNF. And mm-hmm. it was just insane because she gets like a $2,000 refund and like, she doesn't have to pay for anything um, because of Bright Futures. 
And it's just like insane to think that I would have that same thing if, you know, I just was considered a resident. And it's just like I had to work so, so, so hard just to cover my tuition. It's like um, nothing against Maggie. Like Maggie's super hard worker. Love Maggie. But it's just like <laughs> it's just to compare. It's like, you know, it's like I have done so much just to get a, to the same point where she is. So it's just like insane that just citizenship, you know, like it puts you so much behind other people for something you can't really control. And, you know, I love how you touched on that because it makes me so frustrated how people that are Im- against immigration reform, they always say, oh, they're taking our jobs. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like they're not even working hard. They're not even doing anything. They're just coming here and taking our jobs. Mm-hmm. That frustrates me so much because people who say that have no idea what it actually takes in order to get those jobs. In yeah. The and so... Like, like you were saying, we kind of have to work 10 times even harder as an immigrant in yeah. order to just get, like, even have to where everyone else is, right? Yeah. Gosh. And so what were you, so you were also saying before this call that you were looking into getting jobs after school. So, like, tell us, like, I mean, you already told me, but mm-hmm. <laughs> tell the audience your process on that. Yeah, so basically, um, with your student visa, you're given a year to work. You still have to apply for it, but they give you that kind of year. But after that, like, your visa's up, you have to go home. So I've been in the U.S. now for eight years, so it's like this is kind of all I really know. My degrees, you know, have been based on U.S. knowledge and U.S. information, so it's not too transferable. So I do want to stay here Um but I do know that it's not guaranteed because my sister just went through the process and she, you know, wasn't able to go through with it. And now she's back in Ireland. Um, so it's definitely not easy because you have to get sponsored, which is super expensive and not a lot of firms do it. So you really have to just stand out because th- these employers have to prove that you have something that they have to prove that there's not another American citizen who has something that you have. You have to have something that separates you from them that they couldn't find from any American citizens. Otherwise they, you know, can't sponsor you. So you really have to just like work so much harder than the people you're around. You know, you, you might have um, like, I do have a high GPA and I am involved, but, you know, sometimes that's just not enough because, you know, there's Americans who have high GPAs and they're involved. You have to, like, somehow separate yourself from them and just show that, you know, you're worthy of sponsorship. But it is difficult. So I am still, like, you know, holding on to the reality that I might not be able to get sponsorship and I might end up having to go home. Which is insane because now the U.S. is home. So mm-hmm. I really want to emphasize what Cheyenne said um she has a sister and her name is Trinity and I grew up with Trinity Trinity Mm -hmm. was in my class in high school and I remember you know she'd be in all my classes and we were friends and all that stuff until Cheyenne came along and kind of snatched me (laughs) from her but (laughs) but like these are our colleagues these are our you know these are our friends these are our neighbors it's not just some random immigrant like coming here and then like all of a sudden like that's it you know it's not like you're not Mm -hmm. an actual person you are 
a neighbor, you are a friend, you are a colleague, you are a cousin, you're a brother, you're a sister, you are an actual human being. And in my opinion, it is start, it's time to start treating immigrants as if they are also human beings. Because essentially, what if, what if somebody that wasn't an immigrant, what if somebody who was born in the US was over here, and, you know, we were just living our lives, and all of a sudden, we were told, okay, by the way, you kind of have to go to Russia. And you've never been to Russia, but that's okay. But now you have to leave everything that, you know, you call home over here, all of your friends, all of your, like, the school that you go to, all of your extracurricular activities, all your hobbies, leave them and just go live in Russia. Try to make a new life out of Russia. So I think this concept is something that a lot of people just don't understand because they're not in your shoes, right? Mm-hmm. So. If people were in your shoes, then it's obviously easier to understand. But yeah. you being ha- you having to go through those experiences, it's very it's very hard, and it's something that is definitely I can't even even if you speak about it, it's very hard to understand mm-hmm. what you're actually going through. Yeah, sure. Ugh. That's why yeah. I think this podcast is so important because it's just not something you learn at school. Nothing you really realize because a lot of immigrant voices are suppressed for sure exactly um so i know you know even though i am not an immigrant like my parents like i was saying mm-hmm. my parents are immigrants and just growing up they never were comfortable talking about their story they're never mm-hmm. comfortable talking about what happened and why they were even you know brought to america in the first place and i think it's just because of this this societal concept that it's just not okay to talk about you being from a different country you being you talking about your struggles like you talking about all of these things is just taboo but yeah in my opinion more people need to talk about it because i don't know if you know this but it's been 20 years since the united states did anything progressive towards immigration reform Mm -hmm. yeah it's just such a backed up process like you know, there's so many people who have been here for years and they still don't, you know, have citizenship. And yeah, like you were saying, um, stories really are hidden because there's such a negative stigma towards immigration, you know, especially in Trump's America. I just feel like there's so many just comments, like even just, you know, if I say if, you know, people ask about my family or like anything and I say, oh, they were deported. It's like, oh, they were deported. What did they do wrong? You know, but it's not that you know but it's just like I am hesitant to tell people that I am an immigrant because yeah it's just there's so much negative connotations to the word now which is really sad right I I completely agree it is sad and it's sad that people think that you did something wrong it's sad that coming to the United States is wrong because you want a better life Mm -hmm. I think that's such a terrible terrible way of thinking and wow uh, so anyway so I want to backtrack and I want you um, to tell me more about the whole moving process so you said that your parents weren't even in the United States when you had to pack up everything and move out right yeah when we had to leave when yeah yeah so my parents were not allowed to um, come back into the country so my sister, um, we only have, we have one 
uncle here who is in Atlanta. So he's very busy, but he did come down and, you know, help at some points. And my grandparents actually flew from Ireland to come help. Um, But yeah, mostly like um, I have to, you know, really um, praise my sister for this because this was when I was a student athlete at UNF, um, didn't have a car up there. I didn't really have the ability to come too much to Orlando. So my sister really took the initiative to pack up both of the businesses she was she had so much on her plate you know as well as you know being a student at UCF she was holding all these garage sales selling the stuff packing up all you know packing up my room my brother's rooms um, my mom and my dad's rooms and just shipping stuff off like she was constantly you know having people come to like because we just had to get rid of everything mostly so it was a lot for her to do. That's so scary, too. Just the fact that you have to get rid of everything. Mm-hmm. Like just That's, uh, I can't even imagine. Oh, my gosh. Oh, goodness gracious. And then, so talk about Kanan. Talk about Kanan's story and how he was actually being recruited at that time. Yeah. See, my brother, he, um, he is also, my whole family is a family of runners. So Kanan, um, is a very talented runner and he also ran for Lake Mary and unfortunately this happened his last year of high school so unlike me he didn't have the option to get a student visa because you can't get a student visa until you're in college and we tried to have other options for him to come back because you know he he it was hard for him to have to start school in a whole new country when you're in your final year and he is was dependent on a track scholarship so it was a very difficult time for him because now he's thrown into a different country. Um, he was actually doing Irish school while doing all of his um, Florida virtual school for Americans graduate with an American diploma. So he had a very stressful um, senior year. You know, it was very hard for him because he had to see his friends, you know, doing all the senior things while he was just, you know, the whole different side of the world. Um, but, yeah, he was talking to a university and they had promised him a lot of things and a scholarship but eventually that university um actually the same university that I currently attend um unfortunately they uh stopped responding to him and eventually told him that there's no more space in the roster and he can't you know like he's no longer they're not going to give him any any scholarship which is insane because the way he was talking, you know, he uh, he always told me, the coach, that, you know, he he wants to work with my brother. He wants to figure something out. But then all of a sudden, you know, I it's when coaches realize that to have to get give an uh, international student a full ride or to give an international scholarship, it's like three times the cost as an American student. So if they can find American athletes, then they're just going to go with that. So my brother Kanan thinking that he had um, a set place to go stopped talking to all the other college coaches and then unfortunately like by time the UNF coach had finally gone back to him um, it was too late you know it was so late in the process he had already like you know given up so he actually went the route where he is currently at a community college and he is running for them but it's just very unfair because you know he's worked so hard um and, like, now he doesn't even have a coach. His co- coach for um, his community college just quit. So he's being coached by his um, 
athletic director who, you know, doesn't really know anything about it. So he's just had a lot of adversity he's had to overcome and just because of his citizenship, you know, and it's just still continuing. He's just so like, just today he sent a message about how he, you know, he's just giving up because he has um, some heart issues and they didn't clear him. And then, so he went to get some more tests and he got all these series of blood tests and they took a, a lot of his blood. And then the school just told him like, Oh, sorry, we couldn't, um, we, we can't find your results that he just got. And they're, you know, he's not going to go do that again. They stole all, like a, a lot of his blood and he had to get out of treating for weeks because he didn't have this blood and you know it's just like he he said like he's like it's so hard not to give up because every year it seems like something happens to him because it's always like the community college is just always and just yeah like always something something some international cost some his health insurance is so expensive you know he has a full ride but doesn't cover the international insurance which is again is like a thousand dollars so it's just it's difficult he's definitely had one of the hardest experiences with all of this i i didn't even know that and i think that knowing Kanan is such a such a hard thing to wrap my mind around um for those of you that don't know Kanan, Kanan is very 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 fast and not only is he fast but he's a very hard worker he always does what he's supposed to do he's such a nice person too like let alone mm-hmm. his athletic and ac- academic abilities he's a great person overall and you telling me all these things i i just can't even believe it because Okay, so for those of you that don't know, Kanan was one of the best in the state. So in high school, he was one of the best in the state. So he could have, you know, he could have gotten a scholarship basically anywhere he wanted to in Florida, right? Like, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. Diane, but couldn't he have gotten a scholarship yeah. anywhere in Florida? Yeah, if he yeah, was still okay. a citizen. Exactly. If he, was still, if he was still a citizen, he could have gotten a scholarship anywhere. And um, also, putting it into perspective, um, I don't know um, about UNF, um, but at FSU, when anyone was injured, all of their um, all their costs for that injury, so if they got surgery, if they got treatment, everything was always paid for. And so FSU made sure that no matter if you got injured, you would always be getting treatment for that injury. Mm-hmm. And you telling me that just because he's at a community college, which is obviously less funded than than a school like FSU, and he can't even get treatment for what's going on as an athlete and how he doesn't even have a coach and how he's just screwed up. So imagine just working so hard, running all of your life and working so hard and being one of the best in the state and then essentially being screwed over and your whole running career is essentially just – down the drain because of your citizenship. I think that, wow, I, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I'm i just thinking of it as a runner and how I would feel as a high schooler. Yeah. It's, it's not even, like, I can't even put it in words. I, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's definitely been, you know, tough for him. It's affected everything. Like, his mental health has been has suffered greatly and it's like you know I've seen especially the year he was stuck in Ireland like I saw a different like my brother was never like that before and it's like this like 
this just the, the one decision this when we went to the embassy there was one man you know you just go up it's like kind of like when you go up to like a bank teller and it's just a screen like people see your interview like there's people in the line behind you and you do this interview and it's just yes or no and that no like stole so much from my family like it separated us my family is super close we were separated um we lost like i don't know if you guys know how much it costs just to go to the embassy it's like thousands of dollars for us just through this process just for them to say no you know like to go again even just to ask for the temporary visa you know more money and then you know for my family to not have jobs in a new place and to have to start over it just like my family just last month moved into a house they've been there for two years they finally now you know have been settled have gone into good jobs my brother and my sister over there are settling but it's just it's been so difficult and yeah for Canaan like I mean it's sad that you know we don't even have the money at this point like to pay like his school doesn't pay for his heart test so he doesn't want to get them but that's something he needs you know and Mm -hmm. it's just sad that we went from you know having enough money to now it's like it's a struggle and we're not eligible for financial aid in any shape or form so I can't get FAFSA even though you know I would be eligible for it so it has been hard gosh so my question would be after hearing all this Cheyenne what do you think the United States should do what do you think we should do as citizens what do you think the United States should do in terms of immigration reform um, I definitely think the biggest thing that like everyone can do, like using their platform um, and their privilege or using their story if they are going through something like this is just to raise awareness. I think it's been like it has become like a big thing, like when the I statement came out about international students, you know, not being able to stay because of like virtual classes and everything there was so much, you know, voice Mm -hmm. on social media. And that was like amazing. But it's like, there's so much injustice in this in the immigration system and and for international students, too. And it's just like, it's so just buried under. So it was like weird. when it's like, yeah, there's like this problem, like, you know, it's just another issue. But it was cool to see like, you know, people speaking up about it, because that has never happened um, in my experience about something going on. So yeah, just it's just like using your voice is the biggest thing there's so much that so much reform needed um and so much you know beyond our ability but just raising awareness is such a good way you know like just like this podcast and just like you know just using your voice definitely Yes, I definitely agree. Please, please, please use your voice. If you are listening out there, if you are an immigrant or if you're not even an immigrant, but immigration is important to you, please, please, please talk about it. Please, please, please educate others, educate your friends, educate your families. This is so, 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 so needed. Oh, my gosh. Like we saw from Cheyenne, unfortunately, Cheyenne is only one. She's only one family that had had to go through this. So, please, 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 um, use your voice and please use your platforms and most importantly, use your privilege. Um, I, I, you know, I'm privileged enough to be a United States citizen, but unfortunately, a lot of my friends and a lot of my family friends weren't able to be citizens, and so. I think in order to 
in order to pave a pathway towards an accessible education and accessible opportunity for everyone else in this united in this country i think that we definitely need to start talking about it rather than keep it hush hush mm-hmm. uh, so yeah any any last words cheyenne no, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, like Fatima, Fatima said, just use your voice. Um, share this podcast. That's something you can easily do. Literally click of a button. Um, but yeah, that's all for me. Yeah, thank you so much, Cheyenne, for coming on. Um, it's not easy to tell your story. Definitely is not easy for, to tell your story. So thank you so much for doing so. And thank you for taking out the time. Thank you so much, Cheyenne, for sharing your story. Um, Again, it takes a lot of courage to share your story. These stories, they're not any some random story that somebody just tells some friend walking down the street. These stories are real-life experiences that are traumatic, that are very triggering. And so it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery for somebody to come on and share their story. So thank you so much to Cheyenne for coming on. And thank you so much for all of the guests that have came on and shared their story so far. I want to emphasize that if you would like to share your story on this podcast, please contact me at fj15 at my.fsu.edu. Again, that's fj15 at my.fsu.edu. All right, so I was talking earlier about not just talking about these things but also taking action on these things as well so in october i will be lobbying with a few of my friends and a few of uh, a few of my colleagues that are interested in immigration reform i will be lobbying senator marco rubio senator rick scott and House Representative Stephanie Murphy. And I know that House House Representative Stephanie Murphy, she co-signed the HR6 Dream and Promise Act, but she does want to hear the story of her constituents. So if you are interested in lobbying any of these representatives of ours, please, please, please contact me again at the same email address that I listed before. But... On the other hand, if you have a senator that I did not list above, and if you want to learn how to lobby your senators, please also contact me. I also um, have been trained on how to train people to lobby, and so I would love to train you on how to lobby, and I would love for you to join a lobby visit of mine so that you can definitely see how the process works. Also, if you're interested in other opportunities like writing letters to your senators or even um, writing op-eds and publishing your own article on immigration reform, please, please, please contact me as well. All right. I think that is all for today. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We are going to have a new guest and we are going to provide you new updates on the immigration world. So thank you all so much for listening this week and take care and I will see you all next week. Thank you all. Have a great week.